Welcome to HOWC Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. All right, so we're getting back on track with our Genesis study. Tonight, we're going to cover starting in Genesis 8. We're not going to go through the whole chapter. Uh, We're going to stop at verse 14. Because tonight, we're dealing with the part of the story where the waters recede. Next is going to get into some of the the Noahic covenant, so I don't want to get into it, so we're not going to finish the chapter. We're going to just do the receding of the waters. And there's a lot of revelation in this little section of the story beyond just what you're seeing on the surface. So pay attention. Now, let's little recap a little bit since it's been a little while. They were in the ark. The flood came. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but they remained in the ark. They've been floating for 150 days at least, and the waters are starting to recede. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. Now remember it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but it says also the fountains from the deep opened up, the earth cracked open, and a lot of the water came up from underground. And it doesn't say that that stopped after 40 days. So that could have continued for any length of time, but it's saying at this point all that has stopped. There's no more rain, there's no more water coming up, and God sends a wind to start pushing the waters back again. And the waters returned from off the earth continually... And after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. So within this first 150 days, the earth is completely submerged in water and it stays underwater for a time and then it begins to slowly reemerge from the water. The earth was baptized. The earth goes through what we go through. The earth as a whole got possessed. All these evil spirits came in, the the fallen and all this stuff happened, all this violence and corruption, all this came, and so it was baptized. First by water, but it's going to happen again by fire, just like we do. We get a water baptism when when we're first saved, but then you also seek for the fire, the fire baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of parallels into it because when the earth is baptized by water, it is cleansed, but it remains the same. When it's baptized by fire the second time, it's changed. All things become new. It's pretty much destroyed. It was destroyed before, but there's a difference because after the second baptism, the baptism by fire, that's when Jesus comes with New Jerusalem and makes his habitation here on earth among men. Just like us, when we receive the baptism of fire by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home within us. There's a lot of parallels in it. So after the water baptism, there was a cleansing and the enemy was dethroned. After our water baptism, there is a cleansing and the enemy is dethroned from our life. But after the fire baptism, 
Jesus came and put his throne in the earth, the earth's fire baptism, and he makes his home here and lives among us. After our baptism in the Holy Spirit by fire, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home, puts his throne within us and abides in us. The earth goes through the same baptisms that we do. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it pretty much more or less says, this, says that. It says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison or in hell, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. He preached to everyone. He was basically, this was talking about Jesus going back um, into hell and Abraham's bosom, what we call Abraham's bosom, is a holding, was a holding place. But he preached to all of them because it very clearly says here that he preached to the ones that were disobedient when it says preach, that means proclaim. So he wasn't going to save them and preach the gospel. He was going to proclaim what had happened. Because I think the reason that's put there is because, as we learned before, a lot of what happened before the flood was the devil's attempt to try to stop the coming of Christ by polluting the bloodline and introducing all that corrupt blood. So after Jesus does the whole checkmate, he goes to hell to proclaim it doesn't work. This is how I fixed it. The ones that were disobedient that God had mercy while he was waiting for Noah to prepare the ark. So that's all the ones that died in the flood. Now he does go, gets the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He retrieves um, the, the saints that had died, like Abraham, Moses, all of those, because they could not enter into heaven while they were not yet uh, atoned for, not cleansed. Because no sin can enter into heaven, no flesh can enter into heaven. Jesus was the first one that was able to enter into heaven. So while that was waiting to happen for him to make the atonement, there was a holding place, we call it Abraham's bosom, where the saints waited. But he also went to the sinners, to those that were in there. I believe it's, it's talking about those who were trying to prevent this from happening. He went to make the proclamation it didn't work. I'm coming to take authority back. Right. Because remember, the, the, the church, the people lost authority. God created us to have dominion. He created us to have authority over these things. We lost it in the garden. And with all of these things that happened pre-flood, that was the enemy trying to take over God's creation and to make themselves the gods and the, the rulers over it to take dominion. Jesus comes and gets that dominion back. When it says he goes to get the keys of death, hell, and the grave, that means authority. He gets the dominion back. And then he goes to hell to proclaim you failed, but also to retrieve the saints from Abraham's bosom and bring them into heaven. In fact, that's the ones most likely that the Bible talks about were resurrected with him and were seen walking in the streets and the cities uh, after the resurrection. Because it wasn't just Jesus that was resurrected. It says many of the saints were raised with him. That was all part of the first fruits of the resurrection. 
first. Yes. All right, verse 6. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. So he sends out a raven first to test, and the raven doesn't come back. It just keeps going to and fro all over the place. But also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abased from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark. And the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. The dove flew around. She found no place to rest, so she comes back to the ark. He knows that there's still no uh, place where the, the, the ground... Now, there were floating corpses. There were floating trees. There were all kinds of things, but there was no ground. And he stayed yet another seven days. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark. So he waits a while and he sends her out again. And the dove came in to him in the evening. And lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abased from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him anymore. So he sends it out, and then it doesn't come back the last time. So there's a lot of significance happening right here. On the surface, we see a story of Noah testing the grounds. He sends a raven, he sends the dove at the same time. The raven goes to and fro, the dove does not, she comes back. A raven is an unclean bird. A raven will eat flesh. A raven will eat dead things. A raven will go to and fro and land on floating corpse to floating corpse and rotten tree to rotten tree. It will touch the unclean thing and it will go to and fro. The dove is a clean bird. It will not eat flesh. It will not touch the unclean thing. So when the dove comes back, he knows that there's no ground, there's no trees exposed yet. The raven stayed out, so there's nothing out there but death. There's nothing clean for the dove to land on and stay on. There's nothing that can receive the dove. So the raven represents the devil. He goes to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whom he may devour and destroy, according to the book of Job. The dove represents the Holy Spirit. It first went out to Israel through the Levite priesthood and the temple, but had no place to rest and stay nothing clean to permanently receive him. So it returns and waits. So the dove goes back and waits for a while. And then the Bible, we see that there's some silent years between the Levitical priesthood and the arrival of Jesus. There's just a waiting period. So then Noah sends the dove out again. It returns with an olive branch that had sprung up somewhere from what had once been dead. Symbolically, that branch represents Jesus, the clean thing that the Holy Spirit was able to rest on and stay. 
In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, we get God's description or God's witness of what happened whenever the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus like a dove at his baptism. It says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his root. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding and of counsel and of might and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So this was what happened at Jesus' baptism. Jesus is called the branch that comes out of the root of that once cut down tree. When you look to the New Testament to get John the Baptist's witness or description of that same event, in John chapter 1, verse 30, it says this, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water, and John bear record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water had said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. The same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. The dove did not only rest and stay upon the branch, but it eventually plucks that branch off and carries it back to the Master's hand. So we see the symbolism. The dove is sent forth once. It doesn't have a place to remain, so it goes back. That's the Holy Spirit going out into Israel. There's no place for it to remain, nothing clean, so it goes back. It waits a season. The Holy Spirit gets sent out again whenever the time is right and the waters have begun to recede enough, and then it finds the olive branch. It lands on this tree. These trees obviously destroyed in the flood, but yet, see, the olive tree has a way of, even once it's dead, bringing forth new shoots from the root. And so that's why it says that Jesus was like a shoot from the root of Jesse. The dove lands, and he doesn't just remain on this branch, but he actually carries it with him back to the master's hand. Of course, we see the symbolism of Noah kind of representing God and, and the ark representing heaven in this whole situation. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46, it says, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what all was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. Righteous means clean. He was clean. He was in right standing. He was the one that the Holy Spirit was able to rest on and stay on, but also the one that was carried back. To the Father. In keeping in this typology, after the Holy Spirit carries the branch back to the ark, it waits for another season. And then it's released again, and then it doesn't return because now it has many places to land. We can see this in two possible ways. After Jesus was brought back to the Father, the Holy Spirit is released again at the day of Pentecost where it can then rest on all of us because of the cleansing blood of Jesus, or it could even represent the return of Christ 
in the end when he comes back and then makes his home here in New Jerusalem and then there's a permanent dwelling. But either way, we can see the symbolism played out through what actually happened, but God's telling a story about the things that will happen through it. So verse 13, And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. So he sat in the boat for a while, and then eventually he removes it, and the, the ground is dry. And in the second month, on the seventh day and the twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. We're going to stop there. We're not going to go any further. Because coming after this, I know we're short. It's a quick message. But coming into what happens next, God starts to give the ordinances of the Noahic covenant. And I don't want to go into that until we have time to really dissect it because it's pretty important. A lot of people teach that the Noahic covenant is unconditional, meaning God just gives it and nothing's going to change it. But according to scripture, uh, there are ordinances and man does break those ordinances. And that's what brings the wrath of God back upon the children of disobedience again in the end, which is what we're now facing. So we'll look into that in the coming chapters. But even in that short little span, even in those few little verses, it's such a simple story. The waters recede, and he starts to send out some birds. But God is always speaking, and that's how God speaks. So it's important to pay attention to everything that he's doing. The earth was going through a baptism. The things that the earth went through and are going through are the things that we go through. So we can look to our own life spiritually to get understanding of what the earth is going through and will go through in our, in our lifetime or in our children's lifetime because it's all coming to a close very quickly. But also we can look to the story of the raven and the dove and see the parallels between Satan and the Holy Spirit and God's releasing of it once, twice, and then finally, in the end, it will have a place in the earth. God will make a place that is clean and righteous, that can receive the Holy Spirit, an abiding place where it doesn't have to keep going back to him, but it can actually dwell amongst men. It does now in the spirit already, but that's not the complete work. It's going to be in the physical eventually when God sends New Jerusalem and Jesus comes back to the earth. Thank you for joining us today. This program was brought to you by HOWC Media Ministries. For more messages like this or information about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.